What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 154. And in this episode, I speak about Joe Rogan and Spotify's 100 plus million dollar podcast deal. The plus is important there. And we'll get into it. I also speak about UFC 249, a coronavirus update from me, and watching Better Call Saul Season 5. But before we dive in, I want to tell you guys about two quick ways that you can help support the show. First off, I have a new Spun Today t-shirt design available on my viral style page, which I'll link to in the episode notes, as always. The design is based on those New York City, I think New York City, but probably other cities have, have the same thing as well. Uh, but this style of plastic bag that like Chinese food places give you and a bunch of different stores and supermarkets that, that you may shop at, that it's a thank you that's written like seven seven times like vertically one on top of the other says thank you thank you thank you and it's like a red outline thank you and it's transparent in the middle and then the middle thank you is like a solid red then at the very bottom it says have a nice day it's that style design but instead of thank you it says spun today a bunch of times and then on the bottom right instead of have a nice day it says podcast although i do wish that you all have a nice day It's definitely not an original idea. I've seen it done before, but I thought it was really cool and decided to do my own version of. It's printed on these good quality, soft cotton tees. So check it out on my viral store page, which is viralstyle.com forward slash store forward slash spun today forward slash Tony Ortiz. And if you're not going to remember that long ass link, don't worry. I link to it in the episode notes of every single episode, including this one. So check it out. And as always, my weekly newsletter is a great way for you to help support the show. It's absolutely free. It's a good way to stay in touch and also for you to receive some dope content directly in your inbox every single Monday at noon to help your days go by a little quicker. And here's a little bit more about the Midday Monday Boost Letter. You know that feeling that you get on a Monday? when you're sad because the weekend is over and you have nothing to look forward to except for lunch. Have no fear, the Midday Monday Boost Letter is here. And you might be thinking, what is the Midday Monday Boost Letter? Sounds like a mouthful. And it is, but it's also more than that. I put together this absolutely free newsletter that I email to all my subscribers every Monday at noon to spread a little joy and happiness. If you choose to subscribe, all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. And what you'll get is five things. You'll get a photo of the week, which who doesn't like looking at dope pictures. You'll also get a podcast of the week. I listen to dozens and dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide variety of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and share them with you as my recommendation for that week. Also in the Midday Monday Boost Letter, you will find a video of the week, which could be anything from a cool online recipe that I found, to a rap battle, to a TED Talk, or a dope interview. I also share a quote of the week, a little food for thought, as well as a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there. 
Again, this is all absolutely free. And you can get my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. Drop in your email address and you will get the very next one. Joe Rogan. I was about to call him the podfather, but he himself says, even though a lot of folks uh, call him that and attribute that title to him, says that it's definitely not him. Someone by the name of Adam Curry that literally created the term podcast, him and his team, along with the RSS dissemination mechanism by which all podcasts are distributed. How they go from, for example, me recording this into a microphone right now into you receiving it in your earbuds almost immediately after being broadcast. There's him, there's folks that started podcasting about a year, a year to two years tops uh, before Rogan. Rogan's been podcasting for about 11 years now. And that's folks like Mark Marin, which started his podcast about a year before Rogan's. Adam Carolla as well, around six months to a year before Rogan. So folks like that, he says, are the real podfathers, but still. Joe's obviously a behemoth in this space, especially after this. Joe Rogan inked a deal with Spotify to have his podcast exclusively on Spotify. And the deal is worth over 100 plus million dollars. Or should I say that Spotify inked a deal with Joe Rogan to allow them to exclusively house his podcast on their platform? A little bit more on that a bit later. Now, here's what we know about the deal so far. Joe announced it himself on his Instagram has a message to his followers and you know he tweeted it out himself as well on his twitter obviously right and my initial knee-jerk reaction was ah oh, fuck because i was like you know rogan is mr independent he's mr freeform podcast he's known for turning away hundreds of thousands of dollars from advertisers that he doesn't want to put on his show because he only wants to fuck with sponsors and products that he believes in and uses and supports and that in and of itself like set that standard for a lot of podcasters it helps set like a an integrity standard that thousands of podcasts follow of course you'll still see podcasts with or listen to podcasts with you know sponsors like burger king and and mcdonald's and stuff like that but that's definitely not the standard within the space which I think would have gone differently if leaders within the space like Rogan and, and Corolla and others would have went that very commercial route from, from the jump. But anyway, so he's known for being the type of host and the type of person, the type of podcast that is going to do what they want to do their way without any outside interference. So hearing that he's signing a deal with Spotify, my knee-jerk reaction was, oh, oh fuck, like what's going to change? What's going to be different? Why is he even doing this? Then I started looking into the deal a bit you know, with all the, like the public information on the deal that's out there and my fears of the show not existing in the form that I've come to love from all these years of listening, going back now, at least eight or nine years for myself, that quickly subsided. Then I started to see the deal for the dope chess move that it is on both parts, both on Rogan's part and Spotify's part. So this is the way it breaks down. It's reported as a hundred plus million dollar deal up front for a three-year licensing deal of Rogan's podcast. According to Rogan, absolutely nothing is changing with the way the podcast is done. He's still doing it the same way 
with the same people, meaning pretty much Jamie, which is the the producer of the podcast, Jamie Vernon. Shout out to him. Funny ass like uh, like memes and quotes and shit online about that. They say you know Jamie's gonna be rolling up to the podcast soon in in like a custom gold plated Ferrari or some shit because you know he's definitely getting broken off. Lovely. Yeah, he's going to be continuing to do the show the exact same way, which has been the case from the episodes that have been released since this was reported. The way it's going to work is that as of September 1st, the 11 years of the back catalog of the show will move over to Spotify and be available on Spotify, which was not the case before, interestingly enough. And I wonder if that's that was a calculated decision from, you know, years ago. Because like my podcast, for example, you can get on Spotify. The Spun Today podcast is available on Spotify. I'm not holding out on Spotify. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very, very, very tiny fish. But I wonder if that was a strategic move by Joe's part, like with the foresight of getting them to come to the table or something. I don't know. That's just me speculating. But anyway, so as of September 1st, the 11 years of the back catalog of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast will be available on Spotify. All existing shows up until that point will also be available on other streaming services like itunes and stitcher and everywhere else you get your podcast as it is now then as of january all new content will be exclusively on spotify meaning all new episodes of the Rogan experience podcast will exclusively be available on spotify and not on any of the other apps it's no longer going to be on apple stitcher iHeartRadio. Tune in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now I'm going to tell you guys where the two major differences come in from my perspective. From a user perspective, it being on Spotify, not a big deal. Instead of using the Apple's app on my phone, I'll click on the Spotify app on my phone. And you listen to the podcast the same exact way as always. Completely free for anybody that wants to listen. Now I would put a small asterisk on that. Because Spotify, the way Spotify works is... Then when you listen to a show on Spotify, a podcast on Spotify, or music on Spotify, you get ads in between every once in a while, right? Unless you pay the $10 a month, I believe it is, for the premium Spotify version, then you listen to anything and everything that you want, commercial free. Even with that, I don't think it's a big difference because Rogan has like five to six minutes worth of ads in front of every single episode of the podcast now which in the Spotify model, I would imagine is not going to be the same. Like he's not going to have six minutes worth of his own personal ads that he's going to be generating income off of then plus Spotify ads. You know what I mean? Like that wouldn't make sense from Spotify's perspective. So that difference that I wanted to highlight, not a big deal in my, from my perspective. Now, the second one is more of a big deal, but where I see the, it's also more of where I see the chess move being played, if you will, from both sides, Rogan's and Spotify's, which is that the podcast interviews are no longer going to be available on YouTube. Now, I'm not sure if that counts for the 11 years worth of backlog interviews that have always been available on YouTube, but they're either all going away, all those full interview videos, or the new content is not going to be available on YouTube, but the 11 years of back catalog will be. But Spotify is going to start a video portion of their podcast just based on Rogan's show. So you can still definitely see the videos of the interviews, but it's going to be exclusive also on Spotify, which I mean, I have to see what the functionality is like when it gets created because it's it's still something that doesn't exist. 
which by the way just shows what a huge investment spotify is, is making not just in the joe rogan experience podcast but the podcast space in general it's a testament to that because they're opting to create an alternative to youtube which is ubiquitous within the video space so hopefully the functionality is as seamless and easy to use as youtube is i would imagine you know embedded within their own app it would be i wonder what the online browser version is gonna look like because i do like watching some of the interviews the vast majority of shows that i listen to the vast majority of all podcasts that everybody listens to it's just the audio version like through apps so for most folks this isn't even gonna like matter but because they do listen to or or like watching rather some of the interviews is something that i'm definitely gonna be paying attention for now i do know that even when the show in terms of video goes exclusively on spotify rogan's still gonna keep his clips channel on youtube where he puts out clips of episodes similar to how he always has and how other, you know, podcasts do it, including myself, how I, you know, clip up episodes of uh, portions of this show and put it on YouTube as well as the full length audio, because that serves as like content for the more casual fan or somebody that just happens to stumble on the video. You, They might not necessarily have the hour, two or three to invest in listening to like your whole shit. But if you put up a five, 10, 15, 20 minute clip of a segment of, of your show, it kind of serves as like a commercial for your show and also just more content. So that's going to continue to be on YouTube. And that's also where I think we can see that the that this deal has been in the works for a while. Because I'm sure it's not the, the first time that Spotify and other platforms have approached Rogan to try to get some sort of exclusivity deal. You know, he's by far the biggest player in the space. But I would say about five, maybe six months ago, he switched his show from being completely live streamed and unedited so like when a guest went on his show whomever it was it was live always on youtube from bernie sanders elon musk you name it every single episode for 11 years has been live streamed on youtube if you watch the live stream then you rewatch on youtube again it's the same exact unedited show listen to the audio same exact unedited show all three ways then about five to six months ago he switched to pre-recording the show, not streaming it live because while it was still unedited, it was because there were so many other YouTube channels that were taking the live content as it came out and creating those clips that I was just speaking of. Then by the time he went around to do the clips on his own clips channel, there were already viral clips of an episode that he just live streamed that had hundreds of thousands of hits on them already. So he switched to that just to have the exclusivity of of those clips. And I wonder now how much that had to do with the Spotify deal and knowing that he was going to retain that like clips channel. And he obviously wanted to build that up exclusively as much as possible. But this is so dope from a podcast genre perspective. And I'm really excited that a deal this big is even happening. So to get back to it, it's a three-year licensing deal, which means... Rogan owns still 100% of the IP, the intellectual property of the show. He's in essence leasing out the show to Spotify to allow them to disseminate it on their platform and generate ad revenue from it in exchange for the 100 plus million dollar deal. So for three years. Now, some folks in the know, in a conversation that I was listening to, or not in the know, let me rephrase that. Some folks that are within the business, not just in the podcast game, but that radio shows with iHeartMedia, for example, 
and our EPs on television shows, etc. I'm referring to like Charlemagne the God. He, Andrew Schultz, Brendan Schaub, he stated that that 100 plus million, if he had to guess the way, you know, deals are currently like being structured and, you know, knowing what Rogan's numbers are, which I'll get into in a second. He's saying that it's probably 125 to 150 million up front and that he's sure that there's some back end money as well that will add up to another 100 to 150 million on the back end as well. So if true, this is potentially a $300 million deal. Not that 100 million is anything to sneeze at. I mean, that in and of itself is like such a huge deal. But the fact that it could be potentially double that is insane. And the way that he mapped it out was um, referring back to like Howard Stern's deal with Sirius Satellite and how there are bumps in contracts that, that you sign within this space. And for example, Howard Stern had the type of deal where if folks purchased a Howard Stern uh, Sirius Satellite subscription and it was because of Howard Stern and the way companies like this track that is, is you know the same way like podcast advertising works you know you have like promo code Rogan or promo code Joe Rogan or JRE or whatever when you sign up to Spotify or rather that would be you know the way Spotify could track something like this depending on the number of folks that subscribe for Sirius Satellite for the Howard Stern show he made bonus points on the back end meaning more money on the back end and Charlemagne was explaining that most likely you know Brogan has that type of back end deal with Spotify as well which is just even more insane and the dopest part of it to me is that you know it's a three-year licensing deal if after three years he didn't like it it didn't go well he'll just continue doing what he always was doing before lease is over give the car back get another one you know what I mean that type of thing or if it goes well both parties are happy re-up the deal, bump up the numbers even more, sign another three-year lease, you know, do something else. Who knows? Sky's the limit at this point. And for folks that may not know, and I always have like a hard, not a hard time, but it's like weird to try to explain how big Rogan's podcast is. Like it's literally the biggest platform on the planet. And I'm not speaking just in the podcast space. And like knowing this and believing this is also what kind of put me at ease with the with the whole like my initial knee-jerk reaction thought of oh fuck he's going to spotify shit's going to change you know is he selling out quote unquote you know what's going on this type of shit is what puts me at, at ease rogan's podcast is known widely known non-disputed to have at least 190 million downloads per month let that one sink in for a second and for perspective let me give you the numbers of Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC, primetime numbers, which according to an article from Statista, is measured by being 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Fox News, CNN, MSNBC are always battling it out for that first place spot in terms of ratings, in terms of watch time. This article puts Fox at the top of the heap in April 2020 with 3.68 million primetime viewers. In that month, they say the average total viewership for Fox within a given week is 3.54 million. So let's say 3.5 million. Let's matter of fact, let's say it's 4 million per week on an average week. Times that by four to get you a, a monthly number. So say 16 million for Fox News. Rogan's podcast again is getting 190 million downloads per month. 
like if you just look at at his YouTube numbers, which is for any podcast, especially Rogan's, but for any podcast, including mine, a fraction of the views of the downloads that you get versus the audio version. His videos get millions of views. So I say that just to say that that number equates to what folks estimate. And by folks, I'm referring to Forbes articles, Washington Post articles, Wall Street Journal articles. And people, you know, prior to this, speculating on how much money Rogan makes from his podcast, he was making $30 million a year off his podcast alone. Add to that his multi-million dollar deal with the UFC, because he's also the top commentator for the UFC, who the UFC has wanted him to do every single show that they do, every single pay-per-view that they do. And he used to. And he actually, when his uh, contract renegotiations came up, he said he's either going to stop doing it altogether or scale it back to only do pay-per-views that take place within the U.S. so he doesn't have to travel as much. And, of course, they granted him that because, again, he is the best commentator that the UFC has. Then add to that his investments in companies like Onnit, the supplement company, which is killing it, has sponsorships with many athletes within the UFC, for example, and other sports as well. His stand-up comedy, which he tours and sells out everywhere he goes, multiple shows per week, every week, stand-up comedy special, deals with netflix for example which he has i think four or five on netflix alone and where his quote-unquote big money came from back in the day deals with the show that he hosted fear factor which is a syndicated show as well as the sitcom he was on news radio which is also another syndicated show etc 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 so i just say all that to say that him getting paid 100 mil plus from spotify me knowing all those details Make me say, okay, he's not doing this for the money. He's not doing, well, I'm not going to say he's not doing it for the money because I'm sure that was uh, a big deciding factor there. But what I mean to say is that he's not going to all of a sudden change his show to appease Spotify for some reason with a licensing deal where they don't have the leverage to influence the way the show goes. Now, let me tell you what most folks speculate why he did the video portion of the deal with Spotify, which I actually agree with. For a long time, he's had a, I don't want to say beef, but an issue with the way YouTube and its algorithms work in terms of censorship, which, you know, anybody that puts on anything up on YouTube would know, including myself, that whenever you have, let's say, a song or something that you might be discussing and you play a clip of, once it's on YouTube, it gets flagged almost immediately and demonetized. And for somebody like me, now, you know, small half a dozen listeners that I have, it doesn't matter much, right? Now, if and when the podcast blows up and I do have to, you know, my channel is monetized and I have to go back and all those channels, all those episodes that have been demonetized because of like a clip that I played or some music that I played in the background, I'm going to have to go back and re-edit those episodes to bleep out the music or mute out the music in order to be able to get paid from those episodes. But from someone that's getting millions of hits on videos, for that episode or video to be demonetized matters obviously way more. It's also whenever you speak on touchy subjects and it's YouTube has gotten kind of authoritarian and very, very, very left-leaning to the point of kind of infringing on freedom of speech, but doing it in a, like a spotty way that's not consistent. And you have some other egregious shit on YouTube. But if somebody happens to call, even if it's by mistake, Caitlyn Jenner a he, they're flagged and 
it's considered hate speech. It's like weird. So seeing that and being that YouTube is the only like video game in town, the fact that Spotify is taking this chance on building this video version of their platform, leveraging Joe Rogan's audience to do so, I think is a dope chess move on their part. Siempre y cuando Rogan's not going to have like Spotify's version of video censorship on their platform. You know what I mean? Because if that happens, then it's a bad move on Rogan's part, but still a good move on Spotify's part in terms of like the whole censorship thing. Another reason why I think it's dope from Spotify's perspective, from a business perspective, is that Apple currently makes up 60% of the market share of podcatchers, meaning 60% of all podcasts that are listened to are listened to via Apple Podcasts. Spotify is clearly making a play within the podcast space. Has been for a while. They signed the like Bill Simmons sports podcast to an exclusive deal as well. They're creating this whole video uh, platform and it's dope. It's good on them. Seeing that from them is encouraging because I believed in podcasts for such a long time since I first stumbled upon Joe Rogan's podcast, actually, which I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for Rogan's. I pr- I don't want to say I, pr- I wouldn't be writing because I feel that I always had like that writing within me. I was writing on my own, you know, before finding podcasts, but I wasn't doing it to the level that I'm doing it at now until after I found Rogan's podcast and listened to some of the dope conversations he had with folks on there, including writers, listened to some of the uh, writers like uh, Graham Hancock, for example, who I then reached out to naively, and he actually responded to me via email and gave me writing advice. Folks like Daniele Bolelli, who I reached out to as well and also gave me advice. Book recommendations like The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield that I found out about and heard of because of Rogan's podcast that completely set me on a path of, okay, this is actually practically doable. Stephen King's on writing. And then just finding that, that podcast space being roped into it and then exploring out to find other podcasts. And then I was like, wait, I'm into writing and I'm into podcasts. Maybe this is a podcast on writing. And then I, boom, I found Joanna Penn's podcast, the creative pen with the, which is just a treasure trove of practical information on nuts to bolts. If you want to write, if you want to put your work out there, here's how to do it. And I've been podcasting myself for six years now. And I was listening to Rogan's podcast for three, four years before that even. I still remember the very first episode that I that I heard. It was like in the hundred and somethings, 140 something, 130 something, 170 something, like somewhere around there. Now there's over 1,400 shows. First episode I ever listened to was with Ari Shafir, and I was roped in immediately. So yeah, a deal like this is really encouraging. It's really raises the bar of potentiality for all podcasters everywhere, big and small. And I hope it's a source of inspiration for my fellow podcasters out there. I know it definitely is for me. And the last point that I want to touch on from a Spotify business perspective, before I play for you guys, Joe Rogan's announcement, which is quick, it's like 10, 15 seconds long, just so if you guys haven't heard it, I'll play it for you guys so you can listen to it. Then I'll probably be flagged on YouTube, but whatever. I just want to point out that from Spotify's perspective, since this announcement broke, their stock price over the past week has gone up over 15%, which translates into more than a 3 billion, B, B, B billion uptick for Spotify shareholders. So it's an amazing deal on Rogan's part, and even more amazing deal on Spotify's part. And I'm eager 
to see and to follow and to continue being part of the trajectory of podcasts because i honestly feel that we've just scratched the surface podcasts are going to become so much more ubiquitous than they are now you know i think the number is like 50 to 70 percent of people even know what have heard the term podcast before or maybe i don't even think maybe it's that high i think it's like 30 to 50 percent i forget what the exact number is but that's going to continue growing the seriousness that podcasts are going to be looked upon with is going to increase the respect of folks that put out quality work because there is a lot of shit out there including maybe even my podcast some folks might look at it as as shit and you're obviously entitled to that opinion but go fuck yourself you're definitely going to have now a more of a commercial wave of podcasts i feel and you even see it within corporations like i'm not going to mention specifics but i remember about three years ago doing a write-up at work that I wound up actually not sending out because the company wound up being sold to another company and yada, yada. But speaking to how the company should have a podcast component to it and companies like Bloomberg, you know, have already been doing this for a few years and there's a demand within the finance space for finance uh, based podcasts. And like the Molly Fool has its own podcast, which is dope that, that I recommend and listen to. Bloomberg, like I said, has has a few different ones. And then the Fortune 500 company that wound up buying us, or the company that I worked for, they, about a, I want to say six months to a year after that point in time when, when I did that, that podcast write-up, they started their own podcast. And you see it in places like HBO, for example, like if any of you guys watch Insecure, which is a dope season going on right now. I'm definitely going to speak about it when, when the season is over. I like the show. I think it's dope. Shout out to Issa Rae. But if you see even within the traditional, quote unquote, I guess you can call them uh, media, cable media, like HBO, like the Insecure show has its own official Insecure podcast, the Insecure T podcast. And you have a lot of unofficial podcast shows, right? Like there's probably dozens of of podcasts just about the show Insecure that are out there. But now there's an official component to it and it's plastered right there like when you watch hbo like on hbo go or something like that you can just like you can click on to watch the show you can click on to watch the recap of the show you can click on to watch the sneak peek of the of the upcoming show you can also now click on to watch or listen to the insecurity aka the insecure podcast and we're going to see much more of that type of shit going on watch 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 tip of the iceberg folks all right and with that let me hop off of rogan and spotify's nuts for a second and play for you guys the announcement clip of the joe rogan experience podcast change hello everybody i have an announcement the podcast is moving to spotify i signed a multi-year licensing agreement with spotify that will start on september 1st starting on september 1st the entire jre library will be available on Spotify as well as all the other platforms. Then somewhere around the end of the year, it will become exclusive 
to Spotify, including the video version of the podcast. It will be the exact same show. I am not going to be an employee of Spotify. We're going to be working with the same crew doing the exact same show. The only difference will be it will now be available on the largest audio platform in the world. Nothing else will change. It will be free. It will be free to you. You just have to go to Spotify to get it. We're very excited to begin this new chapter of the JRE, and I hope you're there when we cross over. Thanks. Alrighty, UFC 249. This was the first post-coronavirus, I believe in all sports, live sporting event. Definitely the first UFC after the coronavirus. So it was a bit weird because there was no crowd, for starters, and you can hear everything. I never appreciated how much noise the crowd actually makes until they're not there to make that noise. You hear the announcers more, like Rogan, Daniel Cormier, John Anik, and you hear every single strike much more. You can even almost hear the fighters like talk shit to each other. You hear them breathing a little bit, like when they start breathing heavy. So it was a, a very eerie, different kind of way to watch the fight, in my opinion. I also noticed that there weren't any walkouts, or at least they didn't like televise the walkouts the way they normally do. But I think that was just uh, before the main card, because then I did see the walkouts for like Gaethje and Ferguson, and I believe in Gano and Rosa Strike, etc. But anyway, those were the things that I found weird. But besides that, definitely hype to see or to watch a UFC event again after a couple months of not not seeing any. And I'm sure those of you that are fans definitely appreciate that as well. So the first fight that I paid attention to was my boy Thug Nasty, Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa. I know Bryce from watching The Ultimate Fighter and as well as a couple of interviews that I saw him on memorably on Theo Vaughn's This Past Weekend podcast. And he just has like a dope personality. He's like a down south guy. I think he's from Arkansas. So he has that like southern twang. Like he's definitely hunted and eating squirrel and shit. <laughs> Tells a story about choking out a fucking deer. <laughs> it's a dope episode. You guys should check it out. But anyway, he's known more for his striking. Charles Rosa was a uh, or is a black belt in in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and was the presumptive better grappler of the two. What was dope to see about this fight is that Thug Nasty actually took the fight to the ground and completely dominated. The fight was mostly, the entire fight was mostly on the ground. Bryce clearly dominated and won in a decision. The only other thing I want to say about that is, yo, Reebok, get my boy his camel shorts already. What the fuck are you guys waiting on? Then the very next fight between Vicente Luque and Nico Price was back and forth striking action. Back and forth, back and forth. And again, you could hear every fucking strike. So it was heightened even more. Price got noticeably wobbled a couple times, but he fought his way through it. And it, even still, it was like one of those fights where you're like, fuck, Price is going to be wobbled, fight his way through, and then knock, wind up knocking out Luque. But then Luque knocked him down, knocked Price down after wobbling him a few times with like a perfect textbook left hook. And I'm not sure if that, like, cut Nico or if he was just, like, dazed from it. But uh, the doctor, the ref called the doctor in, I believe, or maybe it was between rounds at that point when the doctor looked at Nico Price. 
and then the doctor gave the ref some feedback and then based on that feedback the ref decided to stop the fight and call it a, a tko victory for vicente luque carla esparza beat my homegirl michelle karate hottie waterson in a three-round decision but honestly it was a, a bit of a, a snooze fest for me at least so i don't have much else on that i also didn't pay much attention to the Olenek and Verdun fight, but Olenek won in a three-round decision. Then the next fight that I was excited about was Anthony Showtime Pettis versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Now, this fight was similar to the Luque and Price fight in that it was dope back-and-forth striking battle, but it was like a higher-level striking, you know, two absolute veterans with Muay Thai, kickboxing, Taekwondo styles all mixed together. Definitely makes for a dope striking match. I thought this was a pretty close fight. I thought it was close. Just, you know, not looking at scoring, not looking at anything like that. Just, like, watching the fight, it looked really close. It was back and forth striking, like I said. Cowboy had a couple takedowns, but Pettis seemed like the stronger one. Like, he was causing more damage with the striking, even though the striking was going back and forth. Cowboy hit him with, like, a shin to the face, and he just ate it. I honestly thought it could have gone either way because of those takedowns and because the striking was so close. Then there was one point in the third, I want to say, where Cowboy definitely got poked in the eye, but it was like on the opposite side of where the ref was. So the ref didn't see it. Cowboy called it. Pettis kept striking as he technically should because the, the ref didn't like call a stop to it. And, you know, he himself was saying that that, that you know, Pettis was saying, you know, that was definitely not a poke. But then the instant replay definitely showed that it was a poke. Um, so I don't think it was like malice on Pettis's part. Like he just really didn't think it was a poke. But still, you know, Cowboy like fought through that. They continue fighting. And uh, Pettis wound up getting a unanimous decision. Which again, to me, just watching the fight, it seemed like a much closer fight than that. So maybe a split decision victory either way is what I was expecting. Um, but Pettis wound up getting the unanimous decision. Which I was a bit surprised about. Still, dope fight. Greg Hardy versus Jorgen DeCastro. Greg Hardy looked better than he has in previous fights. You know, I think this is like his second or third fight in the UFC. And each time we see him, he seems to be getting a, uh, a bit better. He's an ex-NFL player. Seems to be, you know, getting his groove a little bit. But, you know, still wasn't like too memorable of a fight for me, in my opinion. But Greg Hardy won in a three-round decision. The next fight was pretty dope. Uh, Calvin... Cater versus uh, Jeremy Stevens. Stevens was controlling, I thought, the first and second rounds. Even though Cater was holding his own and Cater's boxing was like really on point. He looked like a sharp boxer and he was holding his own, but Stevens seemed to be like controlling the pace, controlling the volume. And through the first and second rounds, I was giving it to Jeremy Stevens all the way. Then Cater wound up knocking Stevens down with a straight right elbow and then he pounced on him. Hit him a couple more times, knocked him out, and won in the end of the second. Uh, probably like two minutes left. Actually, no, I'm looking at it. Two minutes and 49 seconds left. So midway through the second round in a T TKO victory. And it took Jeremy Stevens a, a minute to get up. So he knocked him out pretty good. Then you have Francis Ngano versus Rosenstrike in a Francis Ngano 22nd victory. Francis Ngano, I swear, he's like the the Mike Tyson right now of the UFC, of the heavyweight division. Did you guys hear, by the way, Tyson's going to do a, a against Holyfield? 
a three-round charity uh, boxing event. He's training like a beast. If you check out his Instagram, he looks really good because if you remember, Tyson got, you know, like pretty heavy set like in the Hangover 2 uh, movie days and, you know, his his one-man show off-Broadway. If you watch his podcast or if you've seen him on Rogan, like, you know, he's a bit heavier, but now he looks fucking phenomenal. He looks fucking shredded right now. That's going to be interesting. But anyway, Francis Ngannou is like the UFC version of that with the way he knocks motherfuckers out. And he knocked out Rosenstrike in 20 seconds. He just like blitzed them and just punched his fucking lights out. No way else I can put it. When Ngannou has a chance for the title, when he wins the title, because <laughs> I don't see anybody like beating him. Like I feel like he's going to be like a champ for a while. For a long fucking while. But we'll see. Because he has lost, right? He can't be beat. Stipe just fucking was able to eat a barrage of punches from him and then just wrestle the fuck out of him. That's how he beat him. Then I was really excited, almost as much as the main event, excited for the co-main event of Henry Cejudo, Triple C, versus Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz, dope fighter. One of my favorite fighters in that division. One of my favorite fighters, period in the bantamweight division and henry cejudo i can't stand i've said it before on this podcast i don't know why i don't know what it is about him uh somebody tweeted or i saw on instagram or so or something like that and made total sense to me they called henry cejudo the king of cringe it's like i don't know what it is about him i just no lo paso a tipo you know what i mean like he's just like comes off as so it's not even arrogant or cocky it's just like fake it's like when you're being arrogant and cocky you look fake you come off as fake, and when you're being Mr. Nice Guy, you come off as fake. It's like, what the fuck are you? So clearly, I was rooting for Dominic Cruz, <laughs> but he's, even though he, he, you know, quote unquote, doesn't believe in ring rust, he hasn't fought in, I think, since the Cody fight. And that was like, what, like two years ago, maybe even three years ago, but probably like more like two years ago. And Cejudo just seemed like too quick for him. He seemed, Dominic seemed slower. Then we're used to seeing him a little bit more sluggish. I And I'm torn on the decision to stop the fight because Cejudo in the second round caught him, knocked him down, then just pounced on him and hit him with 11 straight unanswered shots. But Dominic was like trying to fight his way up and he was on his way to standing up, even though he was getting that barrage of punches. It didn't seem to be like, you know, clean, hard punches. Dominic was definitely wobbled from that first punch, obviously, that knocked him down. But the subsequent... 11 unanswered shots didn't seem to be phasing him because he was working his way up and the ref wound up stopping it and immediately after the stoppage dominic cruz you know expresses discontent and was kind of sort of arguing with the ref and telling him you know i'm getting up what the fuck why are you stopping it and so who won but honestly it it seemed like it was going the momentum at least in Cejudo's favor up until that point because Dom wasn't really evading all all of his punches like he normally does with his like amazing movement and style of fighting and it seemed like Cejudo was going to get the better of him but I'm definitely torn on that stoppage because although he was getting up he did also get hit 11 times unanswered so it's like at that point it's in the hands of the refs and if the ref calls it you know you as the fighter, put yourself in that position or allowed yourself to be put in that position. So it was definitely disappointing. Then Cejudo, at the end of it, said he's retiring, which just seems like another publicity stunt or ploy or whatever. But 
and i was like completely indifferent about it i was just like all right yeah whatever retire then the main event tony ferguson versus justin gaethje the very much anticipated return of tony ferguson or not even return because he actually just fought pettis not too long ago and looked spectacular in it that was his return fight he was supposed to fight khabib Nurmagomedov, who was quarantined in russia and unable to leave uh because of covid justin gaethje stepped in in the 11th hour and took the fight on short notice for the lightweight interim title bout justin gaethje was thought to not have a you know he had he has a chance in that in every fight every fighter has a chance but he's no slouch either you know what i mean he's like he was like the top definitely top five in the division i want to say maybe even like three or four but tony ferguson was like thought to be the only guy that could give khabib which is the champ undefeated champ in the division the only one that could give him comp and tony was the champ in the division before he got hurt and and had these setbacks and wound up getting stripped and the clash between him and khabib was supposed to happen it's like a cursed fight they literally made the fight i think five separate times and something happened something makes the fight not happen and it was like khabib you know, getting sick and being hospitalized and Tony, uh, you know, slipping on a fucking cable and having to have knee surgery while they're doing like the press conferences for the four, one of their fights. And, you know, shit like that happened three, uh, you know, five times total. I think this is the fifth or the sixth time. It's like fucking cursed. But anyway, uh, Tony didn't look like himself. He didn't use elbows much, if at all, which was super surprising to me because that was like, he's known for each and every one of his opponents looking like hell after the match, whether win or lose. They're all like cut up and it's in a large part due to his unorthodox striking, but mainly his elbows cut the shit out of his opponent's faces. And he barely used them in this fight. Gaethje, which was thought to, if he had a chance, it had to be like an explosive, like first round, maybe beginning of the second round. But after that, he would start gassing, and and Tony would definitely like just pick him apart. That's what most of the, the pundits expected. And Gaethje fought excellent fucking fight, a poised fight, a professional, measured. I know how to beat this guy fight. It looked like he had a game planned, stuck to it to a T, and it worked. And he outstruck Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson's face looked like the one that was all fucked up at the end ferguson looked fresh it was a fifth round ko tko the ref wound up stopping it and to tony ferguson's credit he's like a fucking zombie this guy he was eating everything 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 that Gaethje could throw at him he just ate it so much so that it looked like he did like this weird shit where he was just like nodding his head like standing up you know like shaking his head like after getting punched a few times and I think that's when the ref stopped it because it was like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, is he knocked out standing up or something? Like, it was like some weird zombie shit. And it was a very unexpected outcome for most, including myself. But definitely a dope fight to watch. I'm really interested to see the fights that get made now after this because the way it was thought that it was going to go was going to be Tony Ferguson is going to be Gaethje. Gaethje might fight Connor, And then Tony Ferguson, you know, definitely fight Khabib. And then... You know, the winner, you know, if Connor wins against Gaethje, then he would get the winner between Tony and Khabib. But Gaethje just threw a wrench into that whole thing. Now, Connor is thought to maybe be fighting Kamaru Usman 
going up in weight to fight him for his title. Gaethje, I think, wants Khabib to like you you know because now he's the interim champ. He wants to you know unify the belt, but Khabib is on uh, Ramadan now, and he usually doesn't fight during the summer. So they're saying like maybe in if Ramadan is over this year by July, or if not, then probably like in August sometime they'll fight like in the fall. Tony Ferguson is gonna get right back into it, I'm sure, and be in the mix again sooner than later. So definitely, definitely interesting shit that's happening now within that division. And that, folks, was UFC 249. My coronavirus update. As of today, the evening of May 25th, 2020, as I'm recording this. First and foremost, my brother tested positive. Shout out to David. And I believe, if I remember correctly, that he tested positive for the antibodies, which means that he had it and beat it, which is thankfully the case. And even more thankfully the case that he didn't give it to anyone in his immediate family, his kids, his girl, or to our parents or anybody else that he had exposure to. And stories like that are becoming more and more the norm, which is why there's like more of a push now, more so than before, to reopen things. You know, certain states are reopening, including New York State. You know, it's reopening in phases. It's not that case within New York City yet, completely. But you're starting to see the culmination of the antsiness of people coupled with meeting benchmarks of positive cases and deaths continuing to go down and the local governments beginning to implement strategies and and uh, implementing plans to reopen. I see it now when I go out for essentials, like you notice more people out, you notice more traffic. Uh, definitely here in New York, like everyone's wearing face masks, which is a little weird. There's something like depressing about that, even though, you know, I'm wearing my mask as well. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good idea. There's been a lot of flip-flop, even from like Dr. Fauci and at different points in time stating, you know, don't wear the mask. It's not effective. And then flipping to wear the mask, it is effective. And I, I feel like that's just a testament of the data that's out there at that point in time, especially by folks that are, you know, driven by data and numbers and figures like doctors in the healthcare community in general. At any given point in time, you have a certain amount of data that drives a type of decision. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks or even sometimes even a couple of days in certain circumstances. And based on the data and information that you have available, then you have a complete 180. That's how hectic and crazy this whole disease has been. But I'm definitely not crazy about this, like, this isn't that bad, quote unquote, hype. Like, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Like, people that are, like, downplaying it, like, a little too much, I feel. And I get the whole, you know, want and need, which I also agree with, for the economy to reopen, for businesses to reopen so that the economy can begin to roll again. Because at some point, there is a point of diminishing returns, right? If you continue to only shelter in place and have businesses, small businesses suffer, record unemployment, people cooped up in houses, mental health issues on the rise, spousal abuse and molestation abuse and like that type of shit that occurs more so when folks are cooped up together. Like all that shit is not good either, right? There's a point of diminishing returns. Like there's a balance here somewhere that I feel like as a as a country, we're trying to like as a world really and different places of, of the world are at different points in time with this, but that we're all trying to calibrate and find the perfect equilibrium 
for. And I wonder what if we didn't, especially here in New York, shelter in place. And what if we didn't take the precautions that we took and continue to take? Would we have bent the curve down? Would it have been worse? Would it have been better? Because we would have had some sort of like herd immunity. I don't think we know. I don't think anyone can know. You know, that's like some sliding doors, alternate reality type shit. But I do believe that aspects of what we did worked, right? Like the reason why we sheltered in place, the reason why we wear masks, the reason why we social distance, the reason why those precautions were put in place and followed for the most part were for this outcome, right? Like we wanted this to be the case. We wanted things to begin to normalize again. We wanted the curve to drop and continue to drop as it's doing now. So I kind of sort of see that as what we did over the past two months, it's been working. Like it worked like good job. Good on us. But I'm absolutely definitely for now that we're at a, a safer point to begin reopening things and begin the upward trajectory to the quote unquote new normal. And again, I'm speaking from New York City epicenter perspective. I know that in some places like in L.A., there's like heavy criticism over there of like uh, Governor Newsom and uh, a mayor, Mayor Garcetti. And I kind of get it from their perspective with the folks there because it was like a fraction of the cases and the deaths of New York and an even more authoritative approach to the shelter in place and even extending certain shelter in place orders. And there was this like one uh, like viral clip that I saw where I think it was either Garcetti or Newsom. They, they ordered the like parks department or, or whoever takes care of the beaches over there. There was a skate park near beach and they kids were going, you know, still skateboarding and biking there and stuff. There's like this video of like a tractor trailer taking sand from the beach and like filling in the sand, filling the skate park in with sand so they can't use it. It's like that, like, is that necessary? Just put a fucking cop there giving tickets or some shit if you want to like deter it, deter that from happening. If that. So yeah, I, I agree with continuing to like OD in the direction of sheltering in place and in all these regulations is probably not the most feasible approach when looking at the situation from a holistic point of view and when numbers are all going in the positive direction. And by numbers, I mean number of positive cases and deaths. But I don't want to go too far in the opposite direction either to just wind up having a second wave and being in the same situation again when we can ease out of this situation. And it might take a little bit longer than, say, ripping off the Band-Aid. But we'll get to a stabilized place, I feel. Versus saying, you know, ripping off the Band-Aid, I think, throws away what we did over the past or what we achieved over the past two months and risking like setting ourselves back to having to do the shit all over again in the same strict way. Now, something that I am a little worried about, I guess would be the proper terminology or concerned about might be better or keeping an eye on. It's this whole uh, contact tracing thing. And I'm reminded of things like the Patriot Act and the freedoms that Americans gave up in terms of surveillance and due process in exchange for certain safeties in relation to terrorism. And I'm reminded of the famous Benjamin Franklin quote that I've regurgitated a bunch on this podcast, but is definitely worth restating in this context, which is, quote, those who give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty 
nor safety. End quote. And this whole contact tracing thing reminds me of those two things. It's like the only way I see it happening is with folks opting in. Hopefully it's an opt-in. Because <laughs> if not, it's just like complete big brother shit. But folks opting into giving the names and numbers of, if you test positive for COVID, right? Giving the names and numbers of people that you've come in contact with to the state. Then the state will be calling those people. And it's going to come up on New York, New York, New Yorkers phones as New York state contact tracing or something like that. And it's to notify those people, Hey, somebody that you came in contact with tested positive, you should go get tested. And then that chain continues until all folks are contacted and tested, et cetera. And although I'm torn on this, because although I believe that testing is essential to know who's had it, especially if you're out and about and you're not sheltering in place and you're not, you know, doing all the other normal shit from a data perspective, also to know like the scope of how, you know, big was this, does everybody have it? And then that changes the whole conversation of how fatal it is. But I'm torn because it feels, and that's just like one version of like this contact tracing thing that feels intrusive. That feels maybe even overly intrusive but necessary? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I know that uh, Michael Bloomberg, former mayor of New York, is heading a project in this sphere of contact tracing. And me personally, I like Bloomberg as a mayor, but he definitely leans on that I know best authoritarian side of things in certain aspects with things like stop and frisk, with things like ex- uh, extending for a one-time only the term limits for city officials when he was mayor, you know, he was a mayor for three terms altogether, you know, at the end of his second term, towards the end of his second term, he's like, he tells the city council, Hey, you know, I got this loophole. If I propose this and you guys sign it, I get three terms instead of two. It's going to be a one-time only thing. And if you guys do it, I'll put into it that you guys get to extend your term limits as well. So it's a completely self-serving thing. Every city council member, at that point in time, and the mayor all got three, the eligibility to run for three terms, as opposed to being term limited out after two terms. You know, he did that, uh, the no smoking thing indoors. Although when that happened, I was one working in a bar restaurant at a time that you could smoke indoors. I was an avid smoker smoking over a pack a day. And when that happened, when that law passed, like I was still for it. Because even though I was in the position of a smoker who's, you know, quote unquote liberty of being able to smoke wherever I want was being taken away. Like I knew and felt that it was a positive thing. And I took myself out of the equation and, you know, something that I agreed with no matter what. But I do recognize Bloomberg's like authoritarian leanings when it comes to policy. So I'm a little hesitant to be all in on this whole contact tracing thing especially with Bloomberg involved to the degree that he is, and especially that his involvement is in partnership with the state, Andrew Cuomo, which has always been at odds with current mayor, Bill de Blasio, which is the successor of Mike Bloomberg as mayor of New York City. So there's a lot of interesting shit at play there. But yeah, man, on a lighter note, I do think we're coming to the end of this. I see a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm hopeful that we do see 
do we do get some positive outcomes from this with things like more working from home for employees of companies that, with companies that realize that they don't need as much expensive real estate and overhead of office buildings in the most expensive real estate locations on the planet being New York City, specifically Manhattan. A lot of companies are realizing productivity not going down with employees working from home, employees realizing that they have more family time, less stress from commuting, just overall happier working from home. So I feel like that's going to be uh, part of a a positive or cultural shift that happens post-corona. Hopefully we'll see more manufacturing within the U.S., like that continue to ramp up less of a dependency of of like outsourcing every fucking thing that we outsource and just being a service economy and although you know seeing everybody like with masks and that being like a little weird and depressing maybe we'll see a cultural shift in you know like here in new york like we see sometimes we see like asian people wear masks like that's like a culture thing with asian folks where they'll like if they're feeling if they have a cold or they're feeling sick or whatever they'll just you know throw on a mask maybe that'll be become more of the norm here within new york i think that might be a good thing and just generally like staying home if you're not feeling well like a lot of people go to work sick because they feel like they have to but you know especially if you have now the ability to work from home maybe we see less of that but we'll see i guess we'll see right but yeah folks continue to stay safe and hopefully we'll be out of this shit sooner than later better call saul season five was a dope season. I like the show, obviously. That's why I watch it. That's why I watched the first four seasons. But after the fourth season, I felt that this upcoming season, the fifth one, would probably have to be the last one. I thought it was going to be the series finale. I didn't see where else they can go with uh, the character of Jimmy McGill. And I felt like it was overlapping too much already with the storyline of Saul Goodman. And the idea is, at least from my perspective, that once that those two worlds clash once that overlap that like the middle part of the Venn diagram between Jimmy McGill and better call Saul. Once that gets big enough, then that's it. You're into the breaking bad story or storyline of this world. So I felt like that didn't have the room to play with much in a fifth season or in a sixth season. And they would wrap things up in the fifth season, but Vince Gilligan, Peter Gould, you never cease to amaze me. This was a great season, and now I feel like they could do a sixth and a seventh. And I'm probably wrong on that. They might wrap it up like in the sixth or something like that, but (laughs) who knows? Maybe it'll be the uh, Fast and Furious franchise style of spinoff shows, and they'll be like Better Call Saul season 10. And then a Mike Ehrmantraut show. Anyway, it is a really good season. And I feel like it even, where I fell on the fourth one, like it was winding to a close. Now I feel like that was just like the bottom of the roller coaster. And now it's the fifth one is like sliding its way back up to like the next peak. I learned from this season that, which like lays the seeds for the Saul Goodman character of how he always gets shit done, even if it's like in a sleazy kind of way. Like we see these seeds of that personality trait that Saul Goodman has in Breaking Bad begin in jimmy mcgill or he always kind of sort of had the seeds but now he's like watering those seeds and consciously doing so and he'll always find an angle to get what he wants and in fact in this season he is Saul goodman already 
when he's practicing law because in the beginning in the the very last episode of season four when he's going to begin practicing law again he also submits for a name change for Saul Goodman so in this season five when you know he's still Jimmy and he's doing like that transition between Jimmy and Saul Goodman but he uses the Saul Goodman name for practicing law and we see him getting into bed with and you know taking on as clients more unsavory characters like drug dealers and cartel members and drug users and hookers kind of sort of under the guise of hey they need representation too but i think on the flip side seeing it as if i'm gonna get down and dirty i'm gonna do it with these folks and make a quick buck while i'm at it and they're not gonna judge my or cast judgment on me rather and my integrity because what they're doing is far worse i feel like there's a little of that going on in jimmy's head and his decision making and he will absolutely do anything and everything he could to win a case and or win a client over, etc. Like he used these like visual aids to get a client. Like he was at his door and he was like, you know, just look at this. Let me just show you these three pictures. And the guy doesn't want to give him like the time of day. And he's like, if after this you don't want to deal with me, I'll just walk away. I'll leave you alone. This is the guy that was holding out on like the Mesa, Mesa Verde deal. Like he didn't want to like sell them his house so that they can build on the land and he was like the last house that was holding out and he shows him a a picture of a horse fucking a guy or something like that like a man getting fucked by a horse or a man fucking a horse something like that and the guy's like just so taken aback he's like what the fuck and he's like it says something you know i'm paraphrasing and probably fucking it up but it says something to the effect of you know if you let me represent you i'll make sure that you never get fucked this way by them or some shit like that but Basically, he got the guy's attention and wound up getting him as the client and getting his way, right? And he's always, like, skating the line between legal and unethical. And even in the courtroom, he's deliberating a case. Judges there, the jury, uh, there's a witness of someone who robbed a convenience store and shot the clerk. You know, they're, I don't remember if there was, like, camera footage, but the, this was, like, an eyewitness person. And they were, like... And Jimmy asked him, you know, can you point out the person that, that did the crime? And she was like, yeah, you know, it's your your defendant, the person you're defending sitting right there with the, you know, white shirt, blah, blah, blah. He wrapped up the case by saying, you know what, actually, this is not the person. The person that is my client is actually sitting in the back of the courtroom right now. This is a sit-in. So you clearly don't know who the person was or whatever because you're mistaken. And this person that you just pointed out was actually, you know, has an alibi and, you know, just like a sitting person and you know lived across you know was somewhere else <laughs> at the time the crime took place so that person couldn't be implicated but then the credibility credibility of the witness was shot because the real person that was his client that was in question is like in the back of the courtroom so the judge had to throw out the case and like he would do shit like that what else what else it was a good season there was a lot of of jimmy and his now wife kim which they got to a point where she was about to leave him and she was like, we either have to call this off or get married. And they wound up getting married. And they did that because, you know, she'll have that, not client privilege. It's like a plausible deniability type of thing. Like a wife can't or a husband can't testify against, a spouse can't testify against the other person's, the, their spouse by law or something like that. I don't know. But point is that their relationship was definitely a through line within this season more so than than others i would say uh oh you know what's dope uh, don eladio from 
from the show is fucking Manny from Scarface. And I feel like I n- noticed that, or I should have noticed that in previous seasons, but I didn't. Or maybe I did and I just forgot, but I definitely remember it now. So I thought that was pretty cool. And there was a dope episode that was a bit reminiscent of the Breaking Bad episode when it was just Walter White and Jesse. And it was like that the fly episode that the entire episode was just them two in the lab. And there was like a fly that was like recurring throughout the episode that they were trying to like kill. Some people loved that episode. Some people hated it. There was an episode or maybe even two episodes. I think it like overlapped. But that was mainly about Saul and Mike. And they were in the desert together. Because Saul went to go pick up this drug money for the cartel. His client that was in jail and they needed, he needed to make bail. And it was like, I forget how much, like, I don't remember if it was like $700,000 or like $7 million or $2 million or some shit like that. And he went to go pick up the money cash in the middle of the desert. He picked it up. Saul's on his way back. Then he gets like hijacked by by this like gang. And they knew the drop was happening. And they're about to kill him. And Mike was in the desert like watching over Saul's back without him knowing. And wound up like sniper rifle picking off like each of these guys that were robbing him and killing them. And then their car was was shot up. So they had no way of getting out of the desert except walking through it so it was like a whole episode about them too and i actually really liked the episode it was it was a dope insight into both those characters in an interesting situation to see both of them in and to see how they get out of it it's it's a dope episode it, it was a dope season man i recommend it to you guys if you haven't gotten into better call saul i highly recommend it especially if you're a breaking bad fan this is one of those spin-off shows that definitely does the main original show justice and it's an amazing show in and of itself even if you didn't watch breaking bad actually it would be interesting once it's all said and done once better call Saul is over and this is a series finale if you haven't watched breaking bad to so then watch breaking bad after better call Saul, like see it in the reverse order that would be interesting anyway folks that's it that's all i got that is episode 154 of the spun today podcast spotify if you're listening I think you need a Dominican podcast er on your roster. I have no shame in helping you meet your diversity quota. <laughs> Let me stop. All right, folks. Thanks very much for listening. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. Stick around. Listen to some tunes in the background that YouTube will flag my episode over. But fuck it for now. It's a vibe. Then listen to some ways you can help support this show. Peace. Niña dice en la salsa. Niña dice en la salsa. Tumbando la casa. Como Keith Frost. This is for la raza. Como YG. Fuck Donald Trump. Desde MTI sonando en islos. Creamos túneles en tu pinche wall. Trabajando duro para gastar en el mall. Me buscan en retenes por tirar papeles verdes. Como si fuera nada. Porque el money no es nada. Cuando no había money ya tenía un par de honeys. Antes de tener honeys siempre andaba con los homies. Buscando problemas o escribiendo temas. Huyendo de la poli. Rebelde hasta las venas. Traigo la receta secreta para darte salsa de México directa para darte salsa bien bien buena como el Biri Bam Bam de Selena. Salsa. Hey folks, Tony here, and I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I enjoy putting it together for you. If you'd like to support, I'd really appreciate it. 
and we'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts on how to do so. If you can make your way over to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a bunch of different ways where you can do just that. There you'll find an Amazon banner similar to the other banners found throughout my website that you can click on and will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. This will not cost you anything extra and Amazon will pay me a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. It's a great way to help support the show financially without actually having to come out of pocket. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon and Kofi pages. Patreon and Kofi are two similar websites where you can set up reoccurring donations for the show. If you want to donate a dollar per month, a dollar per episode, a hundred dollars per episode, whatever you like, you can check out either one of those two services there. There's actually also a Patreon video that's kind of like a little tutorial explanation video of how Patreon actually works. Also at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a direct donation button where you, you can donate by way of PayPal. You'll find a link to Apple Music, which works similar to the Amazon banner. You can click on it. It'll take you to Apple's website where you can do your purchasing like you normally do. And again, it does not cost you anything extra but I will get paid a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. And you'll also find links to the Spun Today viral style store. This is where you can get Spun Today related merch. And you'll find things like these cool premium t-shirts that have uh, writing related things on them that I put together myself. I'm definitely not a clothing designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I put together things that I wanted to see and, and uh, wear myself. A couple of my favorites are the one that says, writing is life. And another one that says, write need every day. And it has like a puff of smoke looking design right behind uh, those words. You'll also find the sponsored a coffee mug and a really cool color-changing mug that's related to my debut novel, Fractal. It's completely black, and when it gets hot, when you put it in coffee or tea, it starts changing to white, and it also exposes the cover art for my novel, Fractal. It's pretty dope. So definitely check all that stuff out, which again, you can find by going to sponsory.com forward slash support. And of course, do not forget to follow me on all of your social media at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Subscribe to the Spun Today YouTube channel where you can find clips and excerpts from the podcast along with other cool content. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Spun Today. Also, don't forget to check out all the free shit that I have on my website as well. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. And there you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of free writing pieces that you can check out for motivation and inspiration and just some general food for thought. You can check out some of my photography at spuntoday.com forward slash photography. Feel free to take any of those pictures and use them as you wish. I set it up so that you can 
like copy and download the photos. And my short stories are available at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. And last but certainly not least, my pride and joy corner, spuntoday.com forward slash books. Here you will find my published books, which you find folks can find links to purchase them on Amazon, whether you want hard copies or digital uh, Kindle copies. That's the spot for you. Thank you very much for being a Spun Today listener. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening.